At this time, we'll do the scripture reading. If you want to turn there with me in your Bibles, I'll be reading from Psalm 96. It will be Psalm 96, verses 1 to 13. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Pro proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. For he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and all the peoples and the peoples in his faithfulness. Luke chapter 9. We want to begin reading in that chapter at verse 18. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples there. And the Bible says here in Luke chapter 9 verse 18 that once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And like, what's the word on the street, guys? Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ. And the word means Messiah, or the word means, the, actually the word means the anointed one. Uh, the word Christ is, is, the, is the, the Greek in which the New Testament was written. Messiah is the Old Testament word of Hebrew, but, or Old Testament word in Hebrew. Both of them mean the same thing. Uh, it's not Jesus' last name. The word means Jesus Christ, means Jesus Messiah, or the one who was to come. 
And so Jesus strictly warned them, verse 21, not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So he's talking about his crucifixion. And then he switches gears here. And he says, this is what it means for you. If anyone would come after me, verse 23, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words when the Son of Man will, or when the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So what does this mean? All right, let's switch gears a little bit. So it's time to buy a different vehicle. Your vehicle that you're driving is, is dead or dying, or, and it's time to get, or maybe you just don't like it anymore. A new car smell is wore off, and you want to get a different vehicle for whatever reason. So you do your research. You talk to your family. You talk to your friends and people you might know. Maybe you go and visit the dealer or see what's there. Uh, maybe you check out Kijiji. Maybe you look at the auto trader or you check out the vehicle with a for sale sign on it that's parked beside the highway. And you go over there. And I didn't realize I did this, but, but my son-in-law took a video of me and my grandson one time. We were at the dump uh, admiring all the treasures there. Uh, and I kick things. Uh, and so, you know, you go check out a car and you kick a tire or two and, uh, and you know, talk about it. You, you open the hood, you look what's underneath it, um, you take it for a ride and maybe you get someone else to check it out and now it's time to talk turkey, right? So what's the bottom line here? What's going to make you decide? Ah, uh, what's it worth? Okay, so what am I going to have to pay for this thing? And, and I never take my wife car shopping because she's way too good hearted. Tells the salesman way too much stuff. I mean, like, how can you do that when you've got to negotiate? I mean, you, you know, you... Anyway. How much is this going to cost me? And is it really worth it? My motorcycle died this winter. And I'm in mourning. <laughs> Um, but it's going to cost, the guy that was going to fix it, it's going to cost way more for him. We don't even know what the problem is. We tried absolutely everything. And so it misses at high RPM. We've tried fixing everything. I don't know what to do anymore. And to go any further is going to cost way more than what the bike is worth. And so it's, it's at Schipanski's. It's going to go up for auction uh, this week. And uh, it's going to go as a mechanic special. And uh, you know, I'm gonna, this is my motorcycle. And, yeah, not very happy. But such is life. I think sometimes we misrepresent Christianity. And we say to people that Christianity is, is, is something that's cheap and it 
doesn't cost you anything. And we tell people it's a decision you make at some point in time. And often Christianity is considered an addendum to life, something that you add to your life that's already full and busy. And you ask yourself the question, can I really afford to spend the time, effort, and money this is going to take? I think sometimes we minimize the expectations in order to make Christianity look more attractive. After all, don't we expect lots of people to come to Jesus? Isn't it better if we can persuade lots of people to following Jesus and we make it attractive so that people will want to come and follow Jesus? You know what? Jesus never turned anyone away. But Jesus never minimized the cost of following him. And if we're going to understand that, I think there are a couple of things we need to do. One is we need to make a decision about who Jesus really is. And then you need to make a decision about whether or not you want to pay the cost that's involved. You see, the story that we read here, people went to the boys and he said, guys, what's the word on the street about me? And they said, well, some people say John the Baptist. John the Baptist had already been put to death by Herod. And some people were saying, well, John the Baptist had come back to life. Some people see, said, well, Jesus is Elijah. Elijah, remember, was that Old Testament prophet who, who had this big confrontation with the prophets of Baal, and there was three years of drought, and finally God sent rain. And the book of Malachi, in fact, the last couple of verses, in the last two verses in the Old Testament, say that the prophet Elijah will return before that great and awful day of the Lord. And some people were saying, well, maybe this is the Elijah who was to come. And other people say, well, maybe he's one of the Old Testament guys who was to come back. And that was the word on the street about Jesus. And then Peter asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And so Peter spoke up for all of them and he said, well, you're the Messiah. You're the one that, that, that God the Father has promised was going to come and straighten everything out. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You are the anointed one. You're the one who was to come. We believe that that's what you are. And so that's the decision they had to make in that day. For us today, people, people have all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. I, I, when I was, I was skiing one day this, this last winter, and, and I rode up the chairlift with a, a lady and her daughter, and, and uh, we got to talk, and she asked me what I did. So I told her that I was the pastor of a Baptist church, and, and um, um, you know, we did some talking. And basically, she said, well, all churches basically teach the same moral values. Yeah, but, you know... Like, like, who's Jesus? Was he someone who, who, who taught good morals, who, who said, you know, you should be nice to people? Was he, was he a, a good teacher? Was he a prophet? And, and like all of Islam says, recognizes Jesus was a prophet, but, but Muhammad was the better one. Some people will say, well, Jesus was this semi-historical figure. We don't know for sure whether he lived or not. Or he's this stuff that's larger than legend. And most people know the word Jesus and know the name Jesus and maybe know something about Jesus. 
but we have to decide who he is. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the one and only Son of God, himself fully God and fully human, because if he wasn't both of those things, he can't save us. If he wasn't born of a virgin, he wasn't sinless and he can't save us. If he didn't live a sinless life, he can't save us. If he didn't die in our behalf, he can't save us. If he didn't rise physically from the grave, he can't save us. If he's not coming back again, he can't save us. And so what you believe about Jesus is important. Jesus said to, to a bunch of, of, of religious teachers in John chapter 8, he said these words, if you don't believe that I am, now our Bibles will add something to that, but basically Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am, and I am is the name of God. Remember when Moses asked God, whom shall I say sent me? God says, you tell them that I am who I am, send me. That's where we get the word Yahweh or Jehovah from. It means I am. And Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And so Jesus, the good teacher, can't save you. Jesus, the, the, the prophet, can't save you. Jesus, the semi-historical figure, can't save you. Only Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died a substitutionary death on Calvary, who rose again physically from the grave three days later, who is coming back. He is the only Jesus that can save us. <coughs> and if your Jesus is some created being, he can't save you because the price that had to be paid not only had to be suitable, it had to be worth enough. And a created being is not worth enough to pay the price for created beings. So God himself, Jesus, God himself had to die in order to pay the price to be of sufficient value to pay the price for all of humanity and all of creation. During, oh man, <laughs> during those two weeks of retreat, uh, I was reading and, and I was thinking and and. And I got into Romans where it says all of creation is groaning, waiting to be released from, from this, this curse, this bondage that it was subjected to when Adam and Eve sinned. And then I got into Isaiah, you know, the passage that says God's word, God's word will not return without accomplishing what he sends it forth to do. And then at the end of that it says, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands and the hills will sing for joy. And I thought of the flying that I used to do when I was uh, way back when Kathy and I were first married in, in, in northern BC there. Uh, and, and there was just miles and miles of bush. And, and my beautiful Buckley Valley with, with the mountains. And I thought, man, and Kathy and I talked about this. I said, you know, when, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says all the trees are going to clap their hands. Can you imagine all the bush clapping its hands? Can you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine what the hills are going to sound like when they sing? I know we don't have any here, but, but boy, there's lots of hills. And Kathy says, well, I thought that was just figurative. I said, I don't know. Like, the Bible says it's good enough for me. Like, I'm waiting to hear him sing. You know, like, like the, the, the sacrifice, that the gift had to be worthy enough to pay the price for all of humanity, all of creation, and, and all the rest of this to be straightened out. 
And so it's important what you believe, but you also need to pay the cost. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, okay, here's what it's going to take. You need to do more than say the abracadabra, the magic words that are going to make you a Christian. You need to do a whole lot more. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, here's what it's going to take. First of all, you need to deny yourself. That means that I take me off the throne of my life. It is no longer all about me. It doesn't mean that I need to become an ascetic or a hermit or that I need to self-flagellate myself. But it means that I no longer live for me. It's no longer my interests that rule. It's no longer my desires. It's no longer my right to self-determination. It's no longer my right to self-satisfaction, my right to my wealth, to my health, to my pleasure, or to my comfort. And I now have to ask for permission and approval. Gay, you talked about going to, to uh, Briarcrest Bible College. I went to one of the, you know, like, pardon me for those of you that are, that are NBC staff, but I went to one of the other schools in Alberta. <laughs> one of the things that I had to do when, when I went to this other school, See, I was self-employed. I was an owner-operator of a logging truck. I sold my logging truck so we could go to Bible school. I was used to being independent. You didn't tell me what to do. You know, some people would come up to me and they'd climb on the running board of my truck and hang into my mirror and start yelling at me. You want to yell at me? Get off my truck. You stand on the ground. This is my truck. I paid for it. You don't yell at me in my truck. So, I was independent, I was an owner, and I was an operator, and I was proud of all three. So now I go to this Bible school, and I signed a piece of paper that said, I will cheerfully, was the word, wasn't it, hun? Cheerfully submit to all the rules and regulations of this institute. So now I had to go to ask permission to miss class. And the guy says, no. Like, you, turkey, who are you telling me what to do? My wife, you know, I go home and I mumble, 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 and my wife says, remember that piece of paper that you signed? Yeah, 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 yeah. But you see, it's no longer when I, when I deny myself, it's no longer about me. It's all about him. And then the Bible says, to, I need to take up my cross Daily. It doesn't mean all the things I don't like about life, about this, this, you know, maybe there's this woman who is complaining about her. Oh, I won't talk, I won't blame my women. Maybe it's a guy who's complaining about his wife and he says, well, I just have to bear my cross, you know. And, and no, 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 no. Taking up your cross. You see, what was the cross in Jesus' life? It was doing the Father's will even though he would rather not. The cross in Jesus' life meant that he gave himself for the sake of others. That's you and me. The cross in Jesus' life meant humility. It meant service. It meant self-denial, obedience, and submission, and surrender. And that's more than a one-time decision. Jesus said, you need to take up your cross daily, and sometimes it's several times in a day. It's a day where I decide, it's a time when I decide when I have a disagreement with my wife, it means I humble myself even if she was wrong and I apologize. 
It means that when someone cuts me off on the road, I let it go. It means that if I have an opportunity to serve someone, I do it. When I have a choice to be selfish or selfless, I, it means that I make the right choice. It means that I take up my cross. It means that I do what God expects me to do. And Jesus said, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. That means he makes the decisions. He says where I go. He says what I do. He says how I think. He says what I value. He says how I evaluate things. He says how I choose. He says how I act and react. He says how I treat people. He says how I look at myself, how I look at my world, and how I look at my culture. And my entire value system, my entire philosophy of life is not only colored and flavored by Jesus, it is totally determined by him and his word. And so here's a paradox. Bible is full of paradoxes. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. In other words, if you're saying you won't surrender, I will, I, I will retain my right to self-determination. Jesus said, if you want to hang on to that, you're going to lose it. And I know there are people who fight that. I fought it for years. You see, because we think that when you turn your life over to Jesus, you're going to lose. But the reality is, Jesus says, when you cling to what you think you deserve, you will always lose it. Always, always, always. And then Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And you cannot ever outgive Jesus. I've never seen it, but I believe the Bible says, Jesus said, no matter what you give up on this earth, what I have planned for you is so much better than anything you can ever think of. I haven't seen it yet, but he said it. His word says it, so I believe it. And then Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. You know, when I stand in front of Jesus, I don't want him to hang his head and say, like, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed by him, by Bill. I want to be able to stand in front of Jesus and have him put his arm around me and say, this is Bill, my friend. I don't want Jesus to be ashamed of me. One of my friends one time was going to be a street preacher. And I've told you this story. And somebody asked him one time, aren't you afraid of what people will think of you when you stand on the street and preach about Jesus? He said, yeah. He said, I'm afraid of that, but I'm a lot more afraid of what Jesus will think of me when I don't. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Follow me, Jesus said. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Wow. Jim Elliott, one of the missionaries who was martyred in the 1950s, said these words, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool 
who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And when we try and keep that which we cannot keep, you wind up losing in the end. There's a cost in following Jesus. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And if we want to follow Jesus, it's one thing to accept the privilege. It's another thing to accept the responsibility. But I'll tell you something, it's the best decision. It's not so bad. You might, you might think to yourself, well, you know, my life's going to be miserable. You know what? It's not. God is good. God loves us. God has the best in mind for us, and the best is yet to come. When we buried Agnes here, uh, you know the story. Um, we, had, we had a, a viewing service the night before the funeral, and there was Agnes in her casket with her fork in her hand because the best is yet to come. You know that story? You know, the best is yet to come. Love that picture. It was a good one. Lord Jesus, I recognize that sometimes we oversimplify things and in the next breath we overcomplicate things and we don't want to do either of those. But Lord, you didn't apologize for those words and I don't either. If we want to follow you, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow you. And Lord, help us to, like even if we can't get our heads around it this morning, Lord, may those thoughts rumble around in our subconscious and then help us to understand what that means and to make the decisions. Lord, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What a wonderful reality. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, your goodness, and for the fact that we can trust you and you always come through. Lord, thank you for our time together here this morning. I just pray your blessing upon um, our time of visiting and feasting next door. We just pray your blessing upon the food uh, and upon our fellowship time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.